Well, with me today is Joel Butler. Joel, great to have you. And I want to also thank uh, Gary Don for leading us in worship. It was a wonderful time with the worship team. And uh, Joel, we are going to conclude our series on perseverance. We've taken a look at the uh, future, what uh, future promises of God and how that affects our perseverance. We've looked at the present reality, spiritual realities, and today we're going to take a look back. And uh, I want us to start um, uh, with looking at our Hebrews 12 passage that we've looked at before. But first, I just want to welcome you and thank you for being here. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Kevin. Great to be here. Excited to dive into this again. It's always fun. Yeah, you know, and I've talked about it before, how much I've really, really enjoyed this. And... Um, uh, this back and forth. Um, and, you know, I, I've always told people that I've, I, I enjoy the study of the word during the week as much, if not more, than the preaching on Sunday morning. Not that I don't enjoy the preaching, but the, the study. And I, I feel like with you and I doing this, it, it captures more of the, um, uh, more of the essence and, um, uh, I can cover things that maybe we wouldn't normally cover in a, in a in a sermon. You get insights that I don't have, and that's just really cool. I really enjoy it. Yeah, I do too. It's been been a great blessing for me, and and hopefully the body as well to sort of participate. But it's yeah, it's as we dive in here and and look at these passages. Um, you and I go back and forth even during the week, exchanging some thoughts. It's I can see how the Lord's given you insights and. And then we, you know, just as it comes together, it's always a, a great joy and a lot of fun to, to be a part of. And, and I, I get a lot out of it. Like you said, there's, there's it's always good to, you know, dive into his word. It is encouraging to me. I know it's encouraging to you and um, trusting that it's encouraging to the body. So, yeah, it's been, been a great time. Well, you know, um, it reminds me of the uh, the passage in Timothy about elders being apt to teach. And uh, although I don't I don't think the application of that passage means that they have to be able to stand up in front of a crowd and be good in preaching. I think it's more one on one expounding the word. Um, but um, if ever that was demonstrated, I think it's during these times that we have together. I just appreciate the giftedness that that God has given you and uh, look forward to teaming up with you again as we look at Hebrews 12. Uh, would you That's mind? Starting? Yeah. Would you mind starting us with a word of prayer? Yeah, yeah, no problem. Uh, Lord, we uh, just want to bow our heads and come before you this morning. Uh, just thankful that you've given us another new day, a new morning, uh, a new chance to call upon your name, a new opportunity to open your word. Uh, Lord, a new opportunity to persevere during these, these days of uncertainty uh, Lord, we do want to count these as days of opportunity and uh, look to you to to guide us and direct our paths and that you would become the focal point of our perseverance in our in our lives and our walks for you here on the earth. We do ask that you'll go before us now as we open up your word. We call upon you to teach us in your spirit to move within our hearts and our minds to to guide us that we would. Uh, be led into great truth, Lord, truth that helps us as we walk on this earth. Lord, you call us to live by faith, 
Uh, and that's believing in, in you as an unseen God and a conviction of things that, that, that we can't see and an assurance of things that we can hope for. Um, but Lord, we just pray today that your word, as we look at Hebrews 12 and various other passages, that you would apply it in our hearts and our minds and that uh, it would take deep root and, uh, and just uh, be something that we can hold on to in the midst of storm and uncertainty that rages outside our doors. So we just pray that you'll be with us now as we open this passage and open your word together and ask that you'll just enrich all of us, including those here in the body that are listening in. We just pray that it would be a great time for all of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, what a delight it is, CCC, to be with you again on this Sunday morning. And I sure look forward to when we can uh, see each other face to face. Uh, as much as we enjoy this time together, I sure miss seeing everybody and can't wait when we can uh, meet again. I want to share with you a little story from the 1968 Olympics. Uh, it was uh, uh, the marathon that was taking place. And uh, most everybody in the crowd thought that the race had ended. The winner came across the line uh, about an hour before this time, ran the 26 miles, and he looked as strong at the end as he did at the beginning. A few thousand spectators began to leave, and they heard police sirens and whistles through the gate entering the stadium. And the attention turned to the gate, and a sole figure came through, wearing the colors of Tanzania, came limping in the stadium, and his name was Je John Stephen Aquari. Uh, he was the last man to finish the marathon in 1968. His leg was bandaged, it was bloody, and apparently he had taken a bad fall early in the race. And that was all he could do to just limp his way around the track. And the crowd stood, they applauded as he uh, completed the last lap. And when he finally crossed the finish line, one man dared ask the question that all were wondering, you are badly injured, why didn't you quit? Why didn't you give up? And this is what the Tanzanian said with quiet dignity. He said, my country did not send me 7,000 miles to start this race. My country sent me to finish. And I'd yeah. say it's the same with the Lord. God didn't just send you to start this race. He just didn't send you to begin a, a noble task or a noble relationship. God sent you to finish well. And it's finishing well that the author of Hebrews seems to be concerned with. And I'm going to read from Hebrews 12, uh, 1 and 2. And this is what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then he says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Very powerful passage. And as I've mentioned before, it has some aspects of um, present help, um, but also of this idea of looking in to the past. Now, I want you to take notice how other believers testify through their own lives the value of enduring faith. It says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, all right? 
So somehow, some way, it says that prior saints are urging us to stand and to not shrink back from hardship. Um, they're encouraging us to somehow be resolute to finishing well. Now, you know, some think this is uh, literal. They're up in heaven, kind of, you know, cheering you on. I don't quite think that's the uh, the, the idea um, because we've already seen in chapter 11 this uh, hall of fame of faith and the different examples of how obedience and faithfulness have, have paid off. And so I think they're more telling us by their example that it is a good thing to be faithful to the Lord. So they are witnesses to God's faith, uh, excuse me, God's, um, uh, God's strength for us and our faithfulness. Um, and they, they give testimony to that. For instance, Abel speaks of sacrifice and to put your trust in God. Noah encourages us to continue uh, to, uh, to be obedient despite maybe thinking uh, others think you're ridiculous. Uh, Enoch tells of the value of character and not to be concerned with uh, awesome feats, but simple faithfulness. Moses lets us know that God is not finished with us after mistakes and after we blow it, but we can uh, continue to accomplish things that maybe we didn't uh, imagine before that. So this is not some fantasy camp, Hebrews 11, but it's real life people uh, who, by their faith, let us know that obedience isn't always flashy, but it carries value far past this life. And I think we all have people in our life who are well qualified to inspire us. And certainly the Old Testament heroes of uh, Hebrews 11 stand as a testimony to us of, of what pleases God. And these saints show us by their life the importance of enduring faith. And as I, uh, as Joel and I mentioned uh, a couple weeks ago, you're to stay in the race with your torch lit. You know, it harkens back to a way that the ancient Olympic runners were running. They had to have that torch lit as they finished. And so, you know, a practical takeaway of this is that God is still faithful. And it's God's faithfulness that people of the past are testifying to. So, Joel, let me turn it over to you. Um, do you have people in your past that have been faithful, that have inspired you? And maybe there are even biblical examples of that uh, as well. I want to turn it over to you, Ned. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and I think that's, you know, sort of as you look at Hebrews 12 and as he points back to Hebrews 11, clearly that's, he's saying, look, there, there are times we can look to the past and look to those that have gone before us to 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 glean a great deal of perseverance and encouragement from them. And, you know, when I look at my own life, you know, I've already shared with the congregation about my, my one grandmother, you know, a few weeks back, back in February, the one that lived out in Colorado and, uh, you know, lived through the, the Great Depression, grew up on a cotton farm in East Texas. And then uh, all the things that she she lived through, ups and downs and, and high points and low points and, there's no doubt that as I look upon her life, I take you know, I can see how she persevered uh, through many things. 
Interestingly, as I was thinking about her, my mind went to my other grandmother, who I have never shared any to, to any folks at CCC about, at least not at length. Um, she she lived a life that also was marked by great perseverance, and I looked at her life as also another example. She lost her husband, um, sort of midlife. So my grandfather, who I never had the opportunity to meet, I look forward to meeting him one day. But uh, he passed away, uh, you know, basically midlife, around 40 years of age. And so she had to, you know, persevere the, the, through that. And, and I got to witness, of course, it was years later when I was a little older, you know, maybe about in my teenage years, my, my brother and I got to see how the Lord had clearly become, had filled that void uh, of losing her husband and and it was just neat to see because her life, I mean, we'd go over and spend the night at her house. My brother and I would, and we were, you know, like maybe eight or nine, 10 years old. And we, she would, she had a spirit that the Lord had given her to just go out and she didn't have a lot of fear and she would travel the world and she'd come back with photos from Turkey and Israel and places she had gone and she'd walked in the footsteps of Paul and all of these things, and she'd take us to church that she attended, and they, it was like a, it was a detailed class almost, you know, environment. So she studied the word, you know, in depth, and and she had a real love for the word. I know my dad was given her her Bible when she passed away, and and I've I've still even sometimes when I'm up visiting my parents, I'll flip through her Bible. It's just chalked full of of notes, you know. So anyway, that's one of those examples where a person in my own life that I can look to that preceded me that that walked with great with great faith and endurance uh, even through various hardships. So uh, that was one that came to mind as you're talking. That's an indelible impression, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I love the thought that even as you as a young child have that impression of your grandma. And I, my grandmother on my dad's side was a Christian and uh, she died in her 90s. And I can remember when our kids were real small, Jan and I went to visit her. And I still have a picture of us on her front porch. It was an old dilapidated house. You know, porch was kind of falling apart. They've torn that house down since then. But anyway, I'll never forget on her front porch uh, as we were getting ready to leave. She goes, Kevin, I want you to pray for us, you know, b before I left. And um and whenever I'd come home, you know, uh, in my adult years with the kids and Janet, she would have all the relatives come and join us. And it was like a celebration. But she just had this uh, real um, godly, sweet spirit. She made the best biscuits in the world, by the way. Nobody's ever been able to replicate them. <laughs> <laughs> and when you ask her for the recipe, it's uh, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. She, you know, she could never really... Say, yeah, uh, yeah. Not, it was the exactness. But anyway, uh, I remember sitting on one of her Sunday school classes and her teaching the word at her little church. And, uh, oh, cool. So, yeah, I kind of had a similar experience. Um, but uh, she she lived even through some of my adult years. And, um, you know, it reminds me of Timothy with his mother and grandmother and the, the effect that, you know, that had upon them. And so, you know, we're talking to a lot of parents and grandparents there. And, you know, and the thing about my grandmother, and I'm sure you could probably say the same, it wasn't forced. You know, she never, she never sat us down and gave us a lecture or sermon. It was just yeah. her godly example as we did life together. 
you could just tell, you know, yeah. that uh, there was something really genuine and loving and, and Christ-like about her. Was that the same with your grandma? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it's it, she was, you know, fairly quiet at a lot of times. You know, she wasn't real boisterous or anything, but you could sense a, a great peace and and just you know a steadfast sort of trust in the Lord through through anything and everything that we would face, and she would be there and. And I was always amazed how little fear she'd have. And when my brother and I would go, like I said, we'd spend the night, and we'd she'd take us places. And I know my, I, we still laugh sometimes because my my dad would would ask when we they would come to pick us up, you know, where she took us and what all we did. And, and sometimes even today, my dad's like, sometimes she would tell me, "You took him where? <laughs> You're like where? Where did you take the kids?" Cause she, she just sort of had this spirit of just, you know, we can trust in the Lord. We can head out. And uh, we, was, we did all kinds of fun stuff. But, yeah, she had a great demeanor, like you were mentioning. And, and uh, you know, you, you could always sense that there was the Lord. There, clearly, she was the Lord's. And she, he had filled a great void after the loss of her husband. And her life was marked by his presence and guidance and just being in her in her home, too. It's sort of like what you're saying, being there on the porch. Yeah. Uh, it, just being in, in that sort of environment gave you a peace. You could tell that the Lord was was at work there. So I think it's those sorts of people. And I think I'm hope, hopeful many people in our congregation, when they reflect on that question, They'll have people in their own lives, whether it's in their family or someone that influenced them, because I think the Lord uses people like that to help strengthen us. And I'll tell you what, I would encourage you to, after this message, pick up a phone and call them and thank them, you know, for that. I could go on and on about this. uh, Yeah, yeah, we should go on. Going through my head, but uh, we need to to move on. Yeah. in this passage, it talks about in verse uh, two that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. So again, we're looking at the past, and we're looking at how Jesus is the uh, founder and perfecter of our faith. So we're somehow to trust that Jesus is the initiator and finisher of our faith. Um, and uh, you know, some commentators. Talk about him being a pioneer of our faith. Uh, a lot of different synonyms you could use. But consider this, that Christ, being God, was part of the original decision that mapped out the redemption plan. And, of course, was obedient to the Father's will in, in um, executing that plan. But salvation begins with Christ, and he is the one who completes it. And the word for perfecter has this idea of, completion or for uh, fulfillment and in Christ the plan of salvation culminates and of course we have his famous words on the cross are it is finished so uh, verse 2 also associates with his present status of being seated at the right hand of God giving us present strength uh, and we, we talked about that present aspect before and this right hand being a position of, of, of prominence. Um, so we're in the presence of God, uh, but all that is made, um, all that is made possible because of this work of Christ. He perfectly completed the, the uh, redemption work. Um, I want to, I want to go here to where it says, looking to Jesus. 
or fixing our eyes upon him. Um, it's a it's a deliberate act of the will. As I think of COVID-19, you know, we're given an admonition to fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You know, I um, before this message, you and I were talking about all the different things we're doing at the house. And I've got different projects at the house. And, uh, you know, I can think easily about all the things I got to do to finish those projects, you know. And I can be thinking of those things in a way that, uh, uh, you know, they become prominent. Um, yeah. Of course, I have to think about them in order to do them. But uh, the idea here is that just like you have a project to finish, you think of your faith and finishing your faith in a way that's prominent, that you make that a, a, a priority. That I'm going to work on that just like I work on a some project. I give myself... Um, you know, I, I make sure that I give myself some some uh, attention and uh, and priority to this thing. Yeah. Um, and it, it strikes me that and I, I'm going to just throw out a couple things here, and you you can comment on this. In in lieu of this, and part of our faith and fixing on Christ, how easy it is to be be uh, be preoccupied with myself, or to be preoccupied with others. What what others think? You know, you'd never see a a runner sitting there during the race combing his hair, you know, not focusing on himself. You know, he's going to be running, right? Um, and uh, neither is he going to be asking for an autograph of another runner while he's running, thinking about others. And yet, in some ways, that's kind of what we do in the in the Christian life. Um, does that uh, does that relate to experiences that maybe you've had in the past, Joel? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, when you think through the running analogy, too, and you think about sort of what you're drawn out with, what you could be preoccupied with, you know, when you run a race, you start experiencing a lot of pain and, and you know, your muscles start to ache, your, your you know, shoulders are tightening up, you know, your lungs are having to work hard and you 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 could start thinking about all of those aspects and you could start dwelling on that and usually when you do you become you don't run as well because you're you're all you're focused on all the issues and the pains and the things that you're having to deal with um and so that that can become a problem, right? So you try to sort of figure out what can I do to get my mind off of that and onto something else that gives me a, a peace and knowing that I, I can make it through this. On the other hand, you can start being so worried about, you know, other people behind you and, and what's happening around you that you take your, your, your eye off of the end goal, which is like, like your example at the beginning here, your intro, where the guy said, I came to finish this race, not to just start it, you know. So it's the end goal is, to, is, is Christ and, and to cross that finish line and hear those, those words, you know, well done, you know. Um, and that's actually, in my mind, one of the key things whenever you think about persevering. Because like you mentioned here, there's a lot of things you can put in and fill your, your mind with that can be distracting to you getting the job done. Um, as you said, we, there are things like, in some of, there, there are seemingly harmless things like working around the house or just things that begin to pile up, maybe the busyness of life. And we've talked about that in, in previous weeks. But 
I do think that it's easy, very, very easy to get preoccupied with it. And you see it with, with real world, you know, athletes. They, they actually can. Maybe it isn't as bad as <laughs> combing their hair and getting autographs, but they, they, they are having to be mentally careful and cognizant of what they're allowing their mind, where it's going in, 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 in the midst of a race. So, it, you know, as I reflect upon the reason that a lot of people um, give up on faith, give up on the body of Christ. It has a lot to do with past experiences, disappointments, or hurts, and it negatively impacts their participation in the kingdom of God. Yeah. Not a one of us are immune to this. Um, I, I heard one uh, famous pastor say that the most hurtful wounds he has suffered are those that were closest to him. And, you know, they may, whether it was an official or unofficial, you know, uh, participant in leadership, you know, they pledge their allegiance only to later become some of their fiercest critics. And I think all of us could probably relate to people that we thought were really close. Um, and in this passage, it talks about following the example of Jesus. He knew exactly what that was like. You know, yeah. one of his disciples betrayed him. Uh, one of his closest followers denied even knowing him. And, uh, you know, that's that can be extremely hurtful. Um, and so uh, for a lot of people that ditches their faith. But Jesus set an example that this is what, number one, you expect it. OK, it's going to happen. And it's really naive for us to think that it isn't going to happen. And I think number two it's at those times that our faithfulness is best displayed. So it's not like it's an interruption. God didn't know about this. Oh, sorry that that happened. Um, try to keep that away from you the next time. But it's actually a part of the maturing and part of the ways that, you know, faithfulness is tested. And um, uh, that's, that's quite a concept. Yeah, it's a really cool uh, thing to see. You know, it, it, it uh, you know, when you think of what Christ, you know, went through and the fact that, yeah, the people around them. I mean, we've been studying the book of John in the beginning of chapter seven. His own brothers sort of prod him, poke at him, say he needs to go down to Jerusalem to be more public in his ministry. And then it says and his brothers weren't even believing in him at this point. So you're. Yeah, you know, like you mentioned, it's it's as intimate. I mean, you you would like to think that when we go out and we speak <clears throat> the word or or try to share the truth with other people, um, we sort of know that we we may get rejected by those out there around us. But we'd like to hope at least we have some good support with our intimate family, right? But you know, here we are in a situation where Jesus and in in John there faced a situation where his his most intimate family members weren't even believing what he had to say. So you're right. There, there's this idea that we should be facing the reality that that, that this is what we're going to see uh, when we walk for the Lord. Is there's times where people that we thought were our closest folks actually may turn up to be those that that um, don't end up really sticking with us through this race. So, um yeah just par for course we have to be prepared and, and you know yeah i was thinking as you were talking good runners 
they actually, before the race, they start thinking about what I'm going to have to face mm. while I'm running this race. And they talk about trying to visualize and figure out what they're going to go through. And some of it, I think it gets a little hocus pocus. But none, nonetheless, the, the general principle you see is like, I'm going to have to go into it knowing that I will face certain things. And right. what you're talking about is one of those things you got to got to know about, you know, that there yeah. maybe you, you go in with, you go in with the goal of finishing. You go in yeah. with the goal of enduring. You don't go in with the goal of, I hope I'm comfortable. You don't yes. go in with saying, you know, I want to be happy this whole race. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah exactly. That's, that's, you know, nothing wrong with being happy, but that's yeah. not the goal. And yet I think that's a lot of what Christians do. It's like, if I don't feel this certain level of pleasure right now, then, you know, it's just not for me. And they go from experience to different experience, trying to change the context. Or even if, you know, one of my kids aren't happy, I got to go change the context, try to make them happy. And it's like, we don't think in terms of faithfulness. We don't think in terms of obedience. We don't think in terms of, you know, uh, where the word of God is pointing us to go. It's all about keeping everybody happy in my nest, starting with Moan and everybody else. Yeah. And to me, that just seems like a roller coaster of an existence. Yeah, well, and to your point here, and the writer of Hebrews, he's saying, look to Christ. And when we do look to Christ, what we see a different sort of situation, because it isn't going to just keep keep myself happy all the time and at ease and without any issue. It's like, no, he he went into things knowing I'm going to face, this is what I'm going to face. He kept telling people, I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to have to face this situation. It won't always be easy. It won't always be this hunky-dory road. The race is is difficult at times. So when we look to him, we should be cognizant of the reality that, as we walk for him today, why would we expect, you know, anything different? You know? Yes. So. Yes. So, you know, I think, I think one of the points that this assumes is that Jesus is worthy of being looked at. He's worthy of fixing our attention onto him. Yes. You know, all, all prophecies of the redeemer point to being fulfilled in him. He's the fulfiller of the promises. He's the, finisher of the grace. He is the judge. He's the rewarder. You know, it's from Christ, through Christ, and because of Christ that we enjoy fellowship with God. And I love this passage from Colossians 1 that that just kind of lifts him up and puts him in his, in his position, proper position. It says, this is Colossians 1, 13 through 20. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, 
making peace by the blood of his cross. I mean, dude, that's a sermon right there. Several. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. that's an incredibly rich passage, but it, it just like a laser puts the focus on Jesus and says, that is what I want you to be focusing on. Yes. Yeah, it's an incredible passage. And you're right. You could, we could talk for another hour or two just on each little aspect of what, what Paul just brought out there. It's, uh, it's incredible. And yet, I think it's good to bring up here because, to your point, if we're going to fix our eyes on someone, we would like to know that that particular someone is worthy of fixing our eyes on. And here it's like, look, you can't get any higher than this individual to fix your, your hope and your eyes on in a race uh, of life. So this is an incredible thing to see that the, the, the picture that is painted of the sun uh, and for Jesus, for us to look to him as the one. I mean, even like that, that statement that he holds all things together. Well, we look outside, our, we see the man, the world of man sort of being shaken apart. Uh, and yet, who are we focusing on? The one who holds all things together. Uh, in Colossians 1 here. So it's cool to know that we can fix our eyes on him, know what he had to endure, expect similar sorts of roads for us, but know at the end that look at the position that he has and, you know, the, the steadfast and the, the immovable aspect of who he is, and what he's done, and we can then gain great, you know, hope to keep, keep stay in the race, to not give up. Amen. 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 It's interesting that even uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, he talked about the spiritual rock being Christ, and that even the Old Testament saints look forward to Christ. So here, they were to put their attention on Christ, even though that was kind of a, a veiled revelation. How much more can we focus on him with, you might say, the blazing revelation of the New Testament, the Gospels? Uh, we can fix our attention upon him. Amen. So, you know, very, very practical, I think, um, applications of this is, for instance, just realizing daily that I'm forgiven, that, that my forgiveness is rooted in Christ. I can focus on him. It's not about my effort in terms of, you know, did I do this? Did I do that? Then therefore I can be forgiven. Um, and so, our faith becomes as strong as our focus is upon Jesus, not on myself or, or others. Um, the fact is, when we doubt his love, we doubt his forgiveness, our faith is going to have the tendency to wane. But we, when we see Christ for who he is, we have great confidence in him, then we can stand. And, and you know, we have this safekeeping in Christ that we can experience. And so... Uh, there's a, a lot of practical application, I think, from this idea of, of fixing our attention on him. There's another aspect here that um, he says, uh, uh, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And then he talked about being seated again at the right hand of God. So there's an example of Jesus that is to uh, be, you know, instructive for us. And um, I'll, I'll just turn it over to you about that. Is, are there some things about 
Christ be an example that uh, come to your mind? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, as you know, when you look at his life and you look at the things he said, uh, you know, I was recently, as I mentioned, studying here in John that over 33 times he mentions that he was sent by the father and that he's he's come to do the will of the father. So he uses a sent word and he says, you know, I've, I've been sent by my father. Uh, he, he clearly teaches this repeatedly that his viewpoint is that he's been given a job to do by the father and that he's submitting to the will of the father and going to do that. And one of the things that keeps him motivated is that he wants to please the father. Like in John eight twenty nine, he says, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So you get oh, the wow. picture like he's he's here. He's been sent. I've have, I'm not alone in this. My father's with me and I'm here to please him by doing his will. And it's just neat to see that. You know, I know submission in our culture is like a sort of a bad word. It, we, we look down on it. We think it's like we're taking some back seat to somebody else and we need to fight for our rights and we need to be the, at the top of the totem pole. It's like, well, Christ had no problem at all being very, very clear that I've come to do the will of my father and and for the joy set before me that he's given me a, a, a race to run here on this earth. And I'm going to achieve it. And I know that at the end, uh, there's uh, good results will await. And and in so doing, I'm pleasing him every step of the way. And I think when we have that attitude, it just it should give us hopefully a great fuel, you know, to keep persevering because he did definitely live, like you said, with with a, a viewpoint of a joy set before him, the idea of a mission the idea of doing what his father wanted him to do and that it would please his father ultimately to, to do these things. Great words. Uh, those, are, those are good insights. You know, Christ was able to endure suffering, endure the cross and the shame that was associated with it. And uh, at a time when he could, could have called the angels of heaven to defeat the Roman cohorts in one swoop. But he denied that urge, and he submitted to the plan, like he said. It's interesting that the word corona has its origin in Latin, and you know what it means? It means crown. The virus is called corona because when viewed under a microscope, it actually looks like a thorny crown. And when you read the gospel accounts of the events leading to Jesus' crucifixion, the Roman soldiers mockingly placed a thorny crown on him because of the accusation that he claimed to be the king of the Jews. So the thorny corona of Jesus' head was symbolic of this self-denial and sacrifice. And I think that, that gives, again, a great picture of Jesus as the true king who embraces brokenness. And, uh, you know, while our world is obsessed with a thorny crown virus as Christians word and focus on our savior who wore a crown of thorns so that he could complete this redemption plan that, that God had for him. It's a great, it's a great truth. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned about him. Go ahead. I'm sorry. 
No, no, I'm just saying amen, Kevin. I just think it's such a profound truth. It's just neat to, to focus on them like this. So, yeah, go yeah, yeah, keep, right. keep going. Well, you mentioned about this future joy that you look for, said for the joy set before them. And, yeah. um, uh, and, you know, obviously Jesus had the pleasure of the Heavenly Father on his mind. Heavenly Father sent him to complete this mission through the cross. Um, and, you know, in Luke twenty two forty two, Christ said, Father, if thou art willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but thine be done. So, you know, Christ already knew he was going to go to heaven. It wasn't, you know, he wasn't looking forward to heaven so much. But it seemed like maybe the future joy was rather the pleasure of the Heavenly Father, which would be exhibited then in him rewarding Christ, giving exaltation to Christ. Um, and, you know, you look at Philippians 2, 8 and 9, it says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So, Perhaps even this aspect of a future joy is an example that we're to follow in Christ. Just like he looked to a future joy, we need to look to a future joy that's not necessarily heaven, um, but it's the rewards of being, you know, exalted in heaven. Um, you know, Paul talked about in 1 Thessalonians 2.19, for what is our hope or joy or crowning of boasting before our Lord, Jesus at his coming, is it not you? So it seems to say that the work that he had done, the disciples he made, the people that he loved, the people that he taught, uh, the people that become, you know, converted, those were fruits of his labor and that there would be rewards for that later. So we anticipate Somehow, someway, I don't know exactly all that God is going to do to reward, but we know it's going to happen. Uh, that when we fulfill our mission, because of our obedience, not how flashy we were, uh, that there's going to be great joy that's ours, that God will make sure that it's worth it to us. I mean, there is great power in that truth. Yeah, um, we live with that view and we're able to accept the suffering. You know, the reason I can go to the dentist and get a tooth drilled is because of the future joy of having, you know, uh, a good set of teeth or not having pain or, you know. Um, so we we run for the joy of exaltation that God promises obedient believers. Um, and, you know, it reminds me of Paul and Silas singing in a dingy jail, being stripped, being flogged, being chained. You know what? Why would they do that? Why, why did Moses say no to the riches of Pharaoh and yeah. say yes to being mistreated with the Israelites? Hebrews eleven twenty six tells us it was because he was looking to the reward. Yes. And I know that there's some within Christendom that say somehow that's selfish, that, you know, you shouldn't be looking to the reward. And uh, 
I love Keith Green, and I know he had some song that, you know, talked about, you know, I'm not looking to rewards. And I'm like, well, why not? God gave it to us. He wants us to look forward to the joy. And I think he was trying to say that, you know, it's somehow just selfish if that's your only motive. But it's not that it's your only motive, but it's to say that God in his goodness is pleased to reward us because he loves us and he wants to encourage us. He wants to motivate us. Um, So anything you want to add to that? Oh, no, I just... Amen. I mean, obviously, you know, that I think it's clearly germane to this point here back in Hebrews 12, because as he points back to say, therefore, in light of this great cloud of witnesses that he's presented in chapter 11, um, clearly, you know, as if you look at chapter 11, he starts out with, you know, the key thing that, that kept these folks going was their faith. And one attribute of the faith is an assurance of things hoped for. And that's a confident expectation of something in the future. And you brought out 1126 where it says he's looking to the reward. Clearly, you know, Moses looking to something that's beyond his immediate purview, but he looks beyond. There is a bigger picture here. I have a confident expectation of a good rewarding end result in this. He talks also in chapter 11 about they were looking for this heavenly, you know, the, the, another country, uh, the city of God, and, and that God would not be ashamed, therefore, to be called their God. And it's just sort of neat to see that that's clearly in view for those, po- those folks. And, you know, it says yes. in Hebrews 11, some of them were sawn in two and different yeah. things happened. And you're like, you know, what you know to 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 persevere through that you have to have uh, this big picture view that leads you beyond just what you see outside your doors here on earth right now so yeah i just yeah. all great stuff here to to bring out like you well, if, I, if i'm sawn in two my perseverance won't last very long <laughs> oh, that's true yeah i'll bring it into that okay you'll get the get to the reward then you'll get to the other side but yeah it's yeah, yeah well how about I mean, How about in our discipleship efforts, you know, we bring that up. It's like, you know, there's persecution ahead. There are these terrible things that may happen, and your faith still counts during that time. And instead, you know, we talk about, you know, uh, how life here on earth is going to be better because we have this. You're going to have riches. You're going to have health. You're going to have this and that that God promises you. And to me, those are promises of heaven. Um, and while God, I think, wants to bless us, and I, I count it as his blessing, and I'm blessed every day with a, a family, a home, and, you know, all these toys that we have that we, you know, enjoy. Um, I know that life has so much more than that for me in terms of the, the depth of my faith and my relationship with Christ. And um, so th- this idea, though, that he was, you know, he despised the shame, that Christ did not allow the shame of the cross and all that he had to endure to dissuade him or to cause him to waver. I mean, you look at the reasons that people give up on the faith, they are easily dissuaded, many. Or, you know, they have shame. Or, you know, um, again, they, they, don't, they don't have their focus on Jesus, have their focus on what others think. Or, or of themselves. 
And in, in, in comparison, we're to look to Jesus and see his example. And um, uh, to Jesus, the pleasure of the Heavenly Father compared to the shame of the cross, yeah. I'll take the Heavenly Father any day. And I, I'm willing to do that cross. Um, and so, like saying, you know, the, the joy of the Heavenly Father, that's up here. The problem of people's ridicule, that's way down here compared to um, comparing, you know, Jesus um, willing to obey with, uh, with the trials and all that. Boy, I'll tell you what, it's so easy for me. You know, if I have a hard time, I can get down in the dumps or I can think about how hard this thing is. And, and, and in a millisecond, my focus can be on self. Oh, yeah. And I'm so encouraged by this passage to see, wait, wait a minute. Jesus focused on that future. Um, I look to him and I see his obedience. And he knew that there was going to be something great that the Father had for him. Um, and he was willing to endure. And um, so I'm going to turn it over to you to kind of close this out, Joel. And um, uh, what are some final words you'd have to say? Yeah, well, obviously, Christ is the paramount example uh, of of our perseverance as we look as we've done here, looked at his life a little bit and tried to take some great encouragement from it. And uh, and I and I love doing that because he's clearly called to be the one that we focus on here in Hebrews 12. I, I also think it's neat. When I think back on my own life, how and, and we talk about looking to the past, in this case, we're looking back on the life that Christ lived as as a great example of perseverance through great trial and temptation and other things that he faced and 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 how he did it and what he did. And therefore, we can then glean a great, um, you know, charge. To, to persevere as well as a result. I also look at, as I think back to looking to the past, how he even builds a case in our own lives for why we can continue to persevere because he does things in our own lives. Christ does and the Father does where he He intervenes for us as we walk and then we see those things. And as we look back in our lives, we can say, do you remember that time that I was I thought it was about all over and then, you know, I wasn't going to make it and I didn't have the answers and the Lord came through. I mean, I, I know in my own life there were there have been times like that. I I was thinking this this week on this subject. And when I when I started, I you know went to college to study electrical engineering, studied it for five years, came out of school and got my first job. And I'll never forget driving to, to work on the, I mean, I remember it vividly. The first day driving down the highway, I got off and I'm, I'm praying the whole way. I have no clue. I have no track record to, that I don't know whether I'm going to be a good engineer or lousy. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it at all in this in this world of trying to figure out electronics. And and I remember just praying and praying. And and so that that's it. the first day started. And I, you know, things are, you know, you begin learning little bits and pieces. And of course, as typical, you encounter eventually a, a fairly big problem, right? And within a matter of weeks of starting, they they put me on a project that I just couldn't figure it out. I was like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't know exactly what to do here. 
And I remember to this day getting on my knees in my office, you know, because I got to the point, I was like, I don't have anywhere else to turn. I turned to the Lord and I had been working on this thing for, for quite a while, several weeks and maybe even close to a month. And all of a sudden, I mean, like 10 minutes later, I was like, you know, I should try this one idea. And I walked out and I changed the code a little bit. And all of a sudden, the system that I had been, I'd hoped to see it work for the past month, all of a sudden it worked. And I was like, it was really pretty clear. The the Lord answered my prayer, right? And and so I, I was very thankful to the Lord. Well, you fast forward through all the years of, of different things and projects I've worked on. There have been numerous times I've come where I thought I hit the wall. And what do I, I have to keep going back to the Lord? He came through in the past. He came through in the past. If I go to him, he'll come through. I can I can persevere here and make it through. And, and it reminded me a little bit of David, you know, when he was going out to um, fight Goliath. They they asked him, they said, why would you be the guy to go out and fight Goliath? You know, you're, you're just a youth. Uh, you know, Saul said to David in 1 Samuel 17, he said, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you are but a youth. Well, he has been a warrior from his youth. In 34, David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. 36, he says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Then Saul says, go and may the Lord be with you. So you see this idea that in our own lives, the Lord builds a case for his ability to get us through, to bring us through. When we turn to him uh, and seek that help during times of trial or struggle, you know, whether it's having to fight a bear or a lion, the Lord came through for David and David remembered that. The next time this this thing came up, he said, I can do this because the Lord's been with me. Uh, And I think that that also, you know, as we looked at the past and see what the, what the Lord has done in our lives, he's, he's, he's faithful to be there for us. Like Christ said in that passage in John that I read, he said, the father is with me. And he knew that. And therefore he knew as he approached things, the the father will, 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 will help me through here and I can make it through with his help. And um, I just think it's cool to know that we each, I hope in our lives can look back on times where the Lord proved his faithfulness. When we thought we were done and we thought we couldn't get out from under this load or it was just too much for us to bear, the Lord gave us, you know, provision uh, and make it out. It reminds me a little, going back to flip it all the way back to Jesus's life example. There's that story of the woman of the well where they're tired and he's worn out and he's hungry and he's thirsty. This is Jesus. And he sends his disciples to go get food and water and and they come back at, and they don't realize that he's had this great discussion with the woman at the well and he's all fired up and they're like well here we brought you this food and weren't you worn out and he's like no I'm, I'm actually fine right now my food was to do the will of my father and so it's like 
he even gains his sustenance off of doing the will of the Father. And so it's just sort of cool to see that we can make it with the Lord's provision and his help yes. uh, through through countless struggles and trials. So we should just, again, keep the focus on him and know that he can bring us through. He's proven that he can in the past and he'll do it again. Great word. Thank you so much. And thank you all for being with us today. And uh, if you don't know what it's like to have a relationship with Christ, I want to encourage you that uh, that he's available for you to receive right now, right where you sit. And uh, if you'll just but admit your sin, acknowledge that what Christ said on the cross is sufficient for you and invite him to come and forgive you of your sin, he'll do just that. Uh, you can pray a simple prayer like this. Just bow your head and just say, God, I know that I've sinned. I know that you are uh, just in, in punishing sin, and you put my punishment upon your son, Jesus. I thank you that he endured the cross and despised the shame. And I now pray that you would forgive me for my sin. And I want to have you come into my life to have your spirit indwell in me and to live a life of obedience to you. I want to follow you. I pray this in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, let us know. And uh, the number that I gave you at the beginning of this message, I want you to call or text that number, or you can call the church office. We have some materials we'd like to give you. We appreciate, again, you're watching this service today. What a pleasure it's been for us to give you the Word of God. Uh, Christ Community Church exists to continue to minister to you. And uh, we just thank you for uh, giving us this time this morning. God bless you.